Our scripture reading for tonight will be coming from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Acts 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In a book of sermons, Acts 20 is a unique sermon. Please keep that in mind. Because when you look at the book of Acts and you look at the sermons that help make up the book, many of the sermons are evangelistic in nature. Many of the sermons are about salvation and about Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Many sermons in Acts are like that. Acts 2 is an excellent example. Preaching the gospel, however, involves even more that's involved, more is involved than just Acts 2. Think of Acts 17. Because in Acts 17, preaching the gospel has to do with making a defense concerning God and his existence and will. That's what Paul addresses in Acts 17 as he preaches to the philosophers of Athens. So keep in mind, a lot of sermons in Acts, understandably, deal with evangelism. They deal with making a defense of the faith. They deal with salvation and the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus. Acts 20 is different, though Paul preaches the same gospel. In Acts 20, you have a sermon exclusively to Christians, and especially leaders of the church, elders, Notice Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Notice Acts 20 and verse 28. So a lot can be learned about what needs to be said to leaders of the church and the church as a whole by focusing on Acts 20. That doesn't mean that people don't need Acts 2 or Acts 17. But it certainly means that people who are Christians need to hear Acts 20 from time to time, because it is also a gospel message. Now, the words to remember in Acts 20 are the words purpose, purpose, faithfulness, and trust. As we live our lives in the purpose of God we can be faithful to the Lord and we can trust Him to keep His Word to see us through. The idea, again, of purpose, faithfulness, trust. 
when it comes to really living a life on purpose that honors God, look at this passage because in Acts 20 verses 17 through 38, we began a discussion this morning about three jewels in the treasure chest of being blessed by God. The first one was a consistent track record. We looked at Acts 20, verses 17 through 21, and if you were following along, I brought out 10 aspects of a faithful track record just from those verses. Not everybody can be Paul, but everybody can live their life with purpose and faithfulness. Think about your life and how you're living it. Look at Acts 20, beginning at verse 22. We went from Acts 20, 17 through 24 this morning, and I brought out three truths concerning ongoing growth and godliness. A person who really wants to have a great relationship with God and live their life with purpose, they'll have a track record, whether it's a few months, a few years, or many decades. They show over time their love for the Lord and that they're dependable. But there's also an ongoing desire for growth, an ongoing desire for godliness. Let's pick up tonight at Acts 20, 25. Acts 20, 25. Because from 25, 26, and 27, notice this ongoing commitment to growth and godliness. In verse 25, here's how it's seen. Acts 20, 25. An ongoing commitment to the proclamation of the kingdom of God. There needs to be an ongoing commitment to the proclamation of the kingdom of God. I'll tell you what. You can't preach the gospel of God without also preaching the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is sometimes referred to as the church of God, isn't it? Matthew 16, 16 through 19. That when one comes to Jesus, one is translated out of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. What a change. Paul, although he had been preaching for years, has this ongoing constant commitment to godliness and growth and it shows itself in his proclamation of the kingdom. Look at verse 26, and it's an interesting verse. He talks about being innocent of the blood of all men. In verse 26, what he's really talking about is this. He has an ongoing commitment to being a good watchman. It would be easy to overlook if you don't study very thoroughly. But you look at this passage, Acts 20 and verse 26, and Paul is referring to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. What did a watchman do in the Old Testament? A watchman had the very important responsibility 
of watching out for a city at night. Because a lot of times if a city was to be attacked, they would be attacked at night when everybody was asleep and you had the element of surprise, didn't you? First of all, if you're going to be a watchman, you better have pretty good eyesight, huh? You wouldn't ask someone with poor eyesight. We need to have people that have good eyesight in that position. It's kind of like our sound system. We need to have good people with hearing like Clay helping us with that. And he's good at it. But a watchman has to be able to see and he has to be alert and awake. Good watchmen will be alert and awake. I wonder how many cities were overtaken by enemies because a watchman was asleep on the job. We use a, an expression some nowadays that still finds its roots in this concept of the watchman. Not on my watch. I have a responsibility to look out for and protect. Not on my watch. Don't you imagine that this was a job of anticipation because if you're up all night looking, peering out there, would I see something? They didn't have all the high technology as far as optics that we've got. They were glad to see sunrise. And they were glad when their shift would make it possible for them to go home. Paul is saying, I have been a good watchman and I am ready to go home when the day breaks. I am innocent from the blood of all men. You imagine that some watchman took bribes? Do you imagine that some watchman maybe became drunk? Do you imagine that some watchman sold out? Not Paul. What about us? When it comes to bringing up our families, walking together with our spouses, when it comes to life in Jesus, there are things that we simply have times we have to say, not on my watch because souls are involved. And it's a life and death matter. Look at verse 27. And looking at Acts 20, verse 27, there is an ongoing commitment to godliness and growth in proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Preaching needs to involve the Old Testament and the New. Why? Because it's the whole counsel of God. Preaching needs to involve first principles and things that are harder to understand. 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 through 18. Why? Because it's the whole counsel of God. We need preaching on fundamental subjects like heaven and hell and salvation and the grace of God and the wrath of God. Why? They are part of the whole counsel of God. We need to preach through chapters. We need to preach through books. We need to preach through topics. And we need to preach the lives of individuals. Why? 
because God chose to reveal his will concerning people in a sequential way, in a thematic way too. That's part of declaring the whole counsel of God. And friends, ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to avail yourself to take advantage of the rich variety of Bible study and study the Bible using a number of different approaches. It will bless your life. But do so to get the whole counsel of God. Now, having worked through verse 27, and I move somewhat quickly, especially compared to this morning, slower then, knew that I would have a little less time tonight, and that's great. Let's cover what he says beginning in verse 28. Because he's still talking about ongoing commitment to godliness and growth, but now he focuses on the elders. In other words, Terry and Lynn, Paul would say, I'm talking to you, brethren, because that's exactly to whom he is speaking. And he's saying there needs to be an ongoing commitment to godliness and growth on the part of elders. First of all, note verse 28, to consider themselves and all of the flock. To consider themselves and all the flock. Do you see that in verse 28? A shepherd that is not really thinking seriously about his own relationship with God and about all of the sheep that are being overseen in a local setting is not honoring what God says. Preachers are told the same thing pretty much in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16. Be careful, take heed to yourself and your doctrine, for by so doing you will save not only yourselves, but them that hear you. This is basically what's being said to elders. Think of elders as men of maturity in the faith. They're not spring chickens. Think of elders as overseers, men of management. That's how they are addressed in Acts 20 and verse 28 as overseers. Think of elders as men of heart. They are shepherds or pastors. Men of maturity, men of management and oversight, men of heart. So take heed, be careful to yourself and to all the flock. You know, it's easy for elders, much like preachers, to have people that are special to them and maybe we can show more interest in them than we ought. We need to show interest, the passage says, in all the flock. In all the flock. After working with 67 elders over the years, 67 different ones, they were all great men, I'll tell you right now. But one thing stands out with all of them, as godly as they were and are, sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think everybody would see how that happens how the loudest person, at this particular point, my granddaughter, how the loudest person gets the attention. Sometimes that's happening in a church. 
But attention, appropriate attention, should be given to every sheep in the flock. Can I get an amen there? And we ought to be thankful that we have shepherds that try to do just that. It's one of the things I'm most grateful to them for. Now, look if you will again at Acts 20 and verse 28. Because Paul tells elders as an apostle of Jesus... And you need to have an ongoing commitment to the church that Jesus purchased with his blood. Shepherds need to think about having to give an account to the Lord for the people that he bled and died for. Acts 20 and verse 28. Again, look at Acts 20 verses 29 through 31. Looking at this magnificent chapter and what it's got to say about purpose, God's purpose, and really living a God-honoring life and faithfulness, and what it has to say about trusting the Lord to see you through. Acts 20, verses 29 through 31, deal with this thought. Concerning elders, Paul says, number three, have an ongoing commitment to being alert Because tough days come. Have an ongoing commitment to godliness and growth because you're going to need to be alert. Tough times are coming. And when you see verses 29 through 31... Grievous wolves will arise not sparing the flock. It's one thing for wolves to come. After all, they prey on sheep, among other critters. But then he goes on to say, from among yourselves these things will occur. And men will arise speaking perverse things and leading others astray. Paul warns them, be committed to ongoing growth and godliness. Be alert because tough times will come to churches. Now, when you look at 29 through 35... At least five sins are brought out that seem to be common sins that the people of God will have to deal with. Five sins that we need to all be thinking about and alert to. False teaching is one of them at the very beginning. Acts 20, 29 through 31. Try the teachers, whether they be from God. 1 John 4, 1. In looking at Scripture, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. The Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether the things they heard were so. Acts 17, 11. Paul is encouraging the elders and also Christians generally to do just that. The Bereans had the benefit of Paul's preaching and they compared what he said to Scripture. 
I got a lot of confidence in Adam, but I think Adam and Mike would want you to compare what we say to Scripture and see whether or not it's so. False teaching. Look, if you will, at verse 32. The sin that is being dealt with, and you heard Danny read the passage in our scripture reading. I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those that are being sanctified. Shallowness. If it is the word of God that builds up, on the one hand, a perpetual problem that churches will have to deal with is shallowness. Just as false teaching is a problem, so is shallowness. Sometimes well-intentioned Christians use bad arguments. God help us when we use bad arguments that are shallow and do not fit. Sometimes that can undermine our credibility as God's people can't it. Shallowness. To have a relationship with God that is a mile long but an inch thick. A lot of people have just enough knowledge of God and His will to be dangerous because of shallowness. Look at verse 33. 33 and 34 mention covetousness. Covetousness. Wanting what belongs to another. It seems to me that the Bible is so perpetually relevant. We have to do with, deal with teaching that's unhealthy, teaching and proclamation that's shallow, and we have to also deal with covetousness. But in this passage, it's spoken of in a different light. I coveted no man's gold or silver or apparel. Same passages... Laziness. You know, and I can just see this in my mind's eye, my imagination. Paul would probably do something like this. You know that with these hands I ministered not only to myself, I, I worked for a living, but I also provided for the necessities of others. We know that he was a bivocational preacher. Here's somebody that made tents and yet still did a tremendous job of helping people know God and his way. Again, look at verse 35. Taught positively the supreme beatitude. It is more blessed there's a lot of Beatitudes in the Bible, but this one can be called the supreme because it's more better. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What a problem sometimes arises when God's people show selfishness rather than generosity and a giving spirit. Oh, friends... When one is guilty of that type of spirit, one does not represent Jesus and the cause and the purpose to which we've been called. All right, Acts 20, verses 36 through 38. 
if the first jewel to really stress is a track record that's faithful and loving to God. You know, if a person's interviewing for a job, they often have to answer questions concerning their previous employment. Isn't that right? Think about that as a Christian. As a soldier, what has characterized me as part of God's army, as a family member? Notice this next. The idea of an ongoing commitment to godliness and growth. We're not dead yet. You're here and that's evidence of the fact that you have a pulse and that you're breathing. Me too. And as long as we have that, there should be an ongoing commitment to greater godliness and growth. That's part of the treasure chest of our purpose in God. Now here's the third jewel, and they all come together to make the treasure of being a Christian so precious. Amazing relationships with others. Amazing relationships with others. We'll focus primarily on verses 36 through 38. But before we do, let's go back to Acts 20, verses 17 through 18. And remember that Paul's talking to an exclusively Christian group. To leaders of the church. Especially. And when Paul calls the elders to meet him from Ephesus, I mentioned this morning they had about a 30 mile journey to make, likely by foot. It would have taken them approximately three days because of the winding road that they would take to Miletus to meet the Apostle Paul. But when Paul asked to meet them, they dropped everything and they went. I suspect those elders probably had jobs, don't you think? They probably had family. But when Paul asked to meet them... The mutual concern was so great, they were willing to drop everything and make the journey. I wish all elders and preachers had that kind of relationship, and I wish all elders and members did too. There was mutual concern. Now go with me. See how precious the relationship is. Paul's called. He's not one that asked for us to come and and meet with him. I don't know that he did that that many times when he was with us for three years. That's what they're thinking. And off they go to hear his message and his words. Look at verse 36. 36 would say that there was mutual prayer. They all prayed together. 
Don't you imagine the prayers when something like this, Lord, we don't know what exactly lies ahead for Paul, but we do know that imprisonment and affliction await him. Help him to be true to his purpose in you. Help him to be faithful to the end. And don't you think when Paul prayed for these shepherds that he prayed that they watch the church and be alert to things that might hurt the church? And don't you think that he talked about with God... Help these men to look to themselves and over every soul that they oversee. It would have been a moving scene because of the preciousness of the fellowship, the relationship that they had. Mutual prayer, mutual concern. Mutual tears. You know what? Undoubtedly, Devin, undoubtedly, some of those men heard the gospel and responded to it because Paul preached that. And now they hear that they may well never see his face again. Tears. And Paul, who had invested so much of himself and his life in others, because he was concerned, there's tears there too. Just before coming to services tonight, we had the Valdez family in our home for a little while. That's a couple that loves the Lord. That is a family that wants to serve Him faithfully every step of the way. And we prayed together. And there was tears. Some tears of joy. Other tears concerning what the road ahead might include. Then there was mutual affection. Look at Acts 20, verses 36 through 38. Mutual affection. There's hugs and kisses. There are handshakes. There is the expression of being family and it's pure and it's wonderful and it's about a precious relationship that we've come to have. And Paul has that relationship with these elders. There is mutual affection because we care. We're family. People like Miss Bernice and people like Mr. Wilbur and people like Mr. Eldon and people like Mr. Clay, all of whom are 90 and it's none of your business, they are people that we should love and appreciate because of their love and walk with the Lord. And we're blessed to have a number like that here at Westside. 
And there really is mutual affection. But finally, there's mutual walk. It says that these elders and the scene touches my heart every time I read it and think about it. They walked with Paul to the ship that would eventually supposed to take him to Rome. Eventually. Mutual walk. One of the blessings of being part of a local congregation is that we get to walk together fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. One of the blessings of Christianity is that we get to walk with other people that have the same hope and that love the same Lord and that want to follow the same standard of truth. Isn't that a great blessing? I know I have been blessed to know some of the most wonderful Christian people over the years. And I suspect you have too. But I know this. When our children were young, Cherie and I would often sing to them, I want Jesus to walk with me. You see, even back then, we realized it would be wonderful to walk with our kids and to see them become Christians and to see them learn so much from people like yourself about the Lord. But there will come a time in life when we will not be able to walk with them any more than the elders could go with Paul. They could walk with him to a certain point, but you have to take your own path. And Paul had to take his. Now listen. There need never be a time in anyone's life when the Lord won't walk with you. There are people here that are no longer walking with their loved one, their spouse. Maybe there's people here who've lost their parents. Maybe there's people here who've lost children in death. But there will never come a time, there need never be a time, when the Lord won't walk with you. And so Paul leaves the company of elders that he loved deeply and that loved him. But each left the other with the awareness that the Lord walks with us. I'd say Acts 20 is pretty rich, wouldn't you? I'd say that there's a message for God's people even today in Acts chapter 20. If there's one here who is outside of the body of Christ, the church for which Jesus shed his blood, why not come to him now in faith 
and repentance and baptism and be added to the church. Have your sins washed away by His blood. Have the stain of sin removed. Respond to the grace and mercy and love of God and Jesus. Oh, it's a purpose you'll never regret. The purpose of following Jesus. And for us as Christians, there's a lot to learn about a track record and ongoing commitment and relationships with other Christians from a man like Paul who closely followed Jesus. Let's stand and sing.